Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Check this out. Illinois has recreational cannabis, right? What if you want to feel real good without getting high? And how about ordering it online and getting it right to your door? Well, there's this company, Mineral. They do whole plant hemp oil formulations. It's like CBD, but it's more than CBD. Mineral grows the hemp in Colorado. They formulate the product in Colorado, and they create these organic all-plant formulations for anxiety, stress, inflammation, post-at-home workout, and get this, the sleep one. It's fantastic. So what makes them unique is they actually blend these plant components together, things that the body has, like fats and vitamins that actually increase the absorption and effectiveness. So you actually get to feel the benefit of these formulations, truly. The guy who founded the company, Mills is his name. He's coming on the show next week, and you're going to hear his story. He was in Peru. They tried to take out his colon, but he used cannabis oil to recover instead. I know, it sounds trippy, but wait till you hear his story. It's Mineral. It's a beautiful company, beautiful formulations. I love the balance. I love the sleep. It's MineralHealth.co. That's M-I-N-E-R-A-L-H-E-A-L-T-H dot C-O. And if you're listening to this podcast, and I know you are, you want to try their formulations, then use code CHICAGO15. That's Chicago spelled out in the number 15. That's C-H-I-C-A-G-O-1-5. You do that, you'll get 15% off your first order. That's 15%. That's only available for listeners of the podcast. So use that code. Thank you, Mineral. And thank yourselves, too, because you're going to love this stuff. Cannabis without the high. That's correct. It wouldn't be a Ben Jarofsky show without a weekly visit from my uh, partner in crime at the Chicago Reader, Maya Dukmasova. Well, you weren't here last week, Maya, and uh, some of our listeners were saying, where's Maya? So here you are back. Did and you you're... miss me? What's that? You guys missed me? Yes, we missed you. Well, we really miss you. We don't get to see you in the studio like the old days, but Dennis and I were talking mm-hmm. that, uh, who knows, maybe we'll be back in the studio what do you, well, that's part of the, what we're going to talk about with Maya today. Uh, will the world ever get back to normal? Is there any, is normal exist anymore? Uh, will the world be the same? Uh, so much to talk about, Maya. Let's start with some of the stories you've written. Uh, the last two weeks, you've written two stories uh, dealing with the pandemic. A lot of P's. Pets versus people in the pandemic. Uh, the different aspects of each. Let's start with people did a story a couple of weeks ago that we missed because you weren't here about what it's like uh, for homeless people uh, in the pandemic. Talk about that story. Yeah. So uh, for just to kind of give people some context, um, there are about 86,000 um, people who are homeless in, this, in Chicago. The vast majority of those people are living, um, as they say, doubled up. Uh, so they're living with family or friends. They may be staying in various places for brief periods of time, um, but they don't have permanent addresses of their own. Um, there's about 12,000 homeless kids in Chicago public schools. So, um, but the story that I uh, wrote for the 
print issue of the reader last week, and it's still actually out in the boxes because now we've been um, because of the loss of advertising dollars, we've scaled back to printing our issue, uh, having a print issue only once every two weeks. So people can still find it, um, find that issue of the reader uh, with the stories on homelessness uh, out in the boxes this week. Anyway, so I focus on the five to six thousand people that are actually. Um, homeless and living in the street or in shelters in the city. So those folks are kind of the, the ones that are facing um, the harshest conditions and are, are, are perhaps the most uh, vulnerable in, in this moment right now. And uh, basically, it's, it's a very tough situation for people because um, shelters are congregant facilities. And even though uh, the city has been helping um, decongest some of the biggest shelters. So there's about uh, 700 extra beds that were created by the city by opening up um, YMCA facilities and uh, putting shelter beds there so that the existing shelters could space their beds um, six feet apart. So there have been some efforts to um, to, to decongest the, the existing shelters, but still um, it's, it's very hard to maintain proper social distancing and proper hygiene in facilities where there's, you know, dozens or, uh, you know, hundreds of people sleeping together in pretty close quarters indoors. So um, some people are um, living on the street and they're generally not, um, you know, they prefer not to uh, try their luck in shelters for health and safety concerns now more than ever. And in some of the homeless encampments around town, the city has installed Hand washing stations and porta potties, which has like been um, warmly received by the people living there, but still, the biggest issue that people on the street are facing now is the lack of food, because um, normally they rely on an income they receive from donations on the street or uh, people giving food that are that might be walking by, especially in downtown areas. Um, or social services or charity organizations that kind of come around and, and, and deliver uh, food to homeless people. But all of that, um, all of that has changed the pandemic. So the charities, a lot of the charities have stopped um, coming around to give, to give out food. There's obviously way less foot traffic. Uh, pedestrians are practically totally gone from the streets. So people aren't getting random change from passersby. They're not getting food donations either. So um, there's a lot of concern and worry about that. And uh, so how is the city, what is the city doing to pick up the slack on both these fronts? Well, as far as feeding people, uh, not a whole lot. I mean, there is people, uh, so many people in the city have lost their jobs. The Greater Chicago Food Depository is seeing like a huge surge in in, in demand and requests for, for aid and people coming to use their um, the food pantries. So there's a, there's, a general uptick in, in need for, um, for for people for food donations. The city, is, the, as far as helping people who are on the street and homeless, the city has uh, provided some um, basically equipment for people to, to 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 have their hands washed and to to have some some better access to hygiene. But um, as far as food goes, that people are still kind of on their own, um, and there's. Uh, the night ministry has a medical, uh, like a street medical team. So they have a van, they come around and they do, they offer basic medical care to uh, people living in homeless encampments. So they also have some emergency food supplies that they give out as they make their rounds, but it doesn't, it's not really enough to cover the need. So 
um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really tough situation. Yeah, it's a tough situation uh, anyway to be uh, homeless, but good God, and the homeless in the pandemic. Uh, it would, yeah. The last one of the things that have been. That, oh, sorry. You, I think that we had a disconnect there, but um, yeah, the the thing that is also happening against the background of all of this is there's been this the, the, these kind of calls for. Uh, Chicago Housing Authority to make like 1,800 units of vacant public housing available to house people who are homeless, um, either people who are homeless off the existing waiting list, which has uh, hundreds of thousands of people on it. Um, let me find the, uh, yeah, there's 145,000 people on the waiting list for CHA housing as it is. Some of those people, some of those households are homeless. There are calls to kind of expedite, um, to make units available to the people already on the waiting list who are homeless or to use the vacant housing to get it, you know, get it rehabbed quickly and make it available to medically vulnerable homeless people who are um, either living in shelters or on the streets currently. So this kind of, this is kind of an interesting, um, this gets into some interesting political weeds because basically, the CHA, while it is, um, you know, uh, kind of a sister agency to the city, and 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 it's and it's it's uh, the people who run it are appointed by the mayor of Chicago. Um, it's ultimately not fully answerable to the city either. So it has all kinds of rules that it abides by that are set by the federal government, and the public housing is financed by the federal government. The interesting thing about these vacant units is that the CHA gets money for them anyway. So because of the kind of um, agreement, operating agreement that the CHA has with the Department of Housing and Urban Development, um, basically they, they they get paid for the units whether or not those are being in use. So there's kind of, um, uh, the advocates say that there's kind of a lack of incentive for the agency to uh, lease up the units, to get them rehabbed, to get them, to get them back into circulation because they're, they're getting the money either way. Now, the CHA argues that um, these 1,800-something units are, are not, most of them are really not habitable. They're scheduled for demolition. They're in places like the Laser Homes and the Cabrini Row Houses on the, uh, on the north side, which are scheduled for rehab and demolition. So they're saying that it's like kind of a, I- impossible to actually fix up those units and make them available. And uh, the city and Mayor Lightfoot has sort of, not been pressuring the CHA to do any anything in particular with these units. So they're kind of accepting the logic that the CHA is providing, which is that it's like, you know, it, not not reasonable to be asking for these units to be provided to homeless people because they're tied up uh, there because they have to house people from the waiting list in a certain order because these units aren't actually habitable, etc. Then they kind of present it as like. An impossible, um, an impossible demand. Whereas the advocates are saying, "Look, like nothing is impossible. If we wanted to, we could make these available." Yeah, no. This is one of those uh, baffling aspects of life in Chicago, where the city of Chicago, the CHA, anyway, gets money from the feds uh, to uh, operate these uh, units, and then they say, "Well, um, these units are uninhabitable," uh, but it, they still take the money. You know, so it, it, it would. It's like knocking your head against the wall if you're trying to uh, make sense of it. 
Uh, and it's yeah, exactly. Uh, it doesn't make any more sense in the middle of a pandemic. That's for certain. Uh, all right. To contrast this, uh, your latest story, uh, the story that I uh, that I think it broke this Monday. I want to say I just saw it uh, Monday. Anyway, has to do with we put it up on Friday, but yeah, saw it on Monday. Okay, I'm a little behind, uh, and uh, it has mm-hmm. to do with pets during the pandemic. And had a smile when I saw it. Uh, tell folks about this. This is like an interesting contrast to people during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So while people are, uh, you know, desperate to get housing and, uh, thousands of people are living on the street or these shelters that aren't, um, that, that aren't, uh, optimal for health and safety right now, um, homeless pets are, uh, experiencing an unprecedented demand. So the, sh- the whole various pet shelters and animal, sh- animal rescues have just been cleared out of available cats, dogs, rabbits roosters whatever kind of pets you might imagine <laughs> roosters. and that goes for yeah. <laughs> yeah that goes for private organizations and also the city shelter i mean the city shelter that mostly has um dogs in it and chicago animal care and control uh, a couple of weeks ago like the first week of april they ran out of dogs entirely which has like never ever happened like all their dogs got adopted so, um, so yeah, I think uh, the people who run these shelters, I interviewed a bunch of them, and they basically said that they, they think that people are kind of lonely and they're worried and, you know, maybe they have time to, to, to take care of a pet in a, in the way that they did before now that they're stuck at home. Some people are opting to get dogs because, you know, maybe they're interested, they have been interested, and now especially it's one of the only approved ways to, to be outside is to be walking the dog. So. There's lots of people who are sort of um, adopting or fostering cats and dogs now um, as a way to cope with the uh, with, with the loss with the kind of conditions of the lockdown. So good for the pets. No, it's all good for the pets. And as a dog lover, I'm very happy for them. I love dogs dearly. Uh, and uh, but I just find this interesting: the the capriciousness of human uh, behavior. I, I've seen similar things with humans and dogs. So I remember when 101 Dalmatians came out, was in the 90s, I want to say, uh, humans mm-hmm. went out, got a lot of Dalmatians. So there was a demand for Dalmatians. And then when they discovered how rambunctious the Dalmatian is as a breed generally, uh, they started getting rid of Dalmatians. Like, oh, I don't want this dog. It's more of a pain in the neck. So my concern on this, on this front, Maya, is... That when the pandemic passes, please pandemic pass anytime now, uh, people who got these dogs in their moment of loneliness when they were at home, suddenly they're like, oh, wait, I got to go to work. I got to take care of this dog. Then what happens? Well, so the shelters are all saying that they're conducting pretty um, pretty intensive screenings and pretty careful interviews with people to try to weed out folks who um, might not be very reliable pet owners. Uh, once the pen, you know once the lockdown is over, so they're saying that they're taking all the necessary precautions to to really make sure they're sending these animals to secure homes. But yeah, I mean your point is valid. I think it's kind of I mean people could say whatever in the interview. Um, there's uh, there's only so much information that the shelters will get. But all the animal shelters in Chicago are um, they have like a they they always tell people that if for whatever reason things don't work out. They'll take the animal back, no question asked. So, you know, people should not, uh, 
you know, freak out if they can't, if they can't handle having the pet at the end of the day, you can return the pet to the organization where you got them from. And that'll be better than, you know, neglecting a pet that you don't want anymore. So yeah. Um, I mean, it's traumatic for an animal to go through changes like that, but I'm sure it's less traumatic than being in a, in a, in a, in a neglectful situation. Uh, speaking of which, uh, when I mentioned earlier, but I think it's interesting that, that it's, Uh, I, I just think it's interesting that there's so much, um, there's such an outpouring for, of, of compassion for animals in this time, which is understandable. Um, and we have so many people and children, really, uh, who, who are really struggling with the consequences of this. I mean, some of the homeless people that we profiled, because there was, there, my article was one part of the package, and then we had these um, portraits that uh, were taken by our friend Lloyd DeGrain, um, these amazing portraits of, of people who are staying on the streets right now. And some of those folks have pets too. And, you know, their, their, their pets are having limited access to food because folks are having limited access to food. So, um, which is another thing I guess uh, I should let people know if, in case they're wondering, lots of animal um, shelters in the city provide free food, uh, pre- free pet food of supplies to anyone who might be financially struggling right now to provide for their for their animals. So the Animal Cruelty Society and Paws, um, Feelings and Canines, all these organizations, um, they can um, they can help people out uh, if they're if they're having a tough time providing for their for their pets. Maya, you put something in my mind uh, when we were talking before the show that I'd like to uh, get you to elaborate on. The notion of going back to normalcy, the notion of the world going back to the way it was, as if that's possible. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Well, uh, yeah, there, there's been um, uh, some interesting coverage of this in, in the New York Times these last few days, but basically if there's all these protests going on, demands for states to reopen business for, you know, restaurants and uh, whatever, rec- gyms and recreation facilities to open back up. But, you know, even if all of the restaurants were allowed to open again, that doesn't mean that people are going to feel comfortable and safe going into them. And so it's very unlikely that life is just going to get back to a normal flow because at this point enough people are educated about the dangers of this of this of this virus to continue probably to behave more cautiously than they normally would before the pandemic so um you know i think that especially for like venues um you know sports related things uh anything that congregates people bowling alleys restaurants like any of businesses like that like even being allowed to open back up again doesn't mean that businesses will be just like right back where they started before all this before the lockdown began so um the experts are saying that we can really expect there to be a very um, long process of of quote-unquote getting back to normal and it probably won't really get back to normal until uh, there are vaccines available and people are, are vaccinated. And it's not even clear whether a vaccine for this virus would 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 be a permanent fix. Like, will it be like something like measles, mumps, and rubella, where you get this vaccine when you're a kid and you never get the disease? Or would it be like the flu shot, which is like a flu vaccine, but it changes seasonally and it, it isn't always 100% effective? So we just don't know that yet. Um, 
I guess the other thing that will that might happen is like, you know, we don't really know like how many people will get uh, infected in a new wave if things if states open back up again. So you might see something like a state allowing school to happen as normal for like two or three weeks, but then subsequently you might have a huge wave of new infections. So they'll have to roll back to, you know, having kids in school again, having staff in schools again um, to, to handle the wave of new cases. So it's really kind of hard to predict, but basically it's, it's unlikely that life will just like restart again because the, the causes of all of this are not, are not just like some kind of capricious politicians. There's like a real danger out there. And as we speak, uh, the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, uh, a Trump Republican, is already moving forward uh, to reopen uh, parts of the state that are closed, businesses that are closed. One of the, the uh, my beloved bowling alleys is on his list, which is so bizarre to put that at the top of the list. Somebody I saw tweeting out, Maya, um, talking about how, you know, bowling alleys, you, uh, you're you using borrowed shoes and you're putting your hands into borrowed uh, balls. It's, it's, um, <laughs> Very, uh, I mean, are you going to go bowling if they reopen the bowling alleys? Are you going to go bowling again? Uh, well, yes, I, I will eventually go bowling again. I can't imagine a world without me bowling. I've been bowling for my whole life. But your your point is very uh, is is a very good one. There's all kinds of psychological impediments uh, to before we just jump back into what we were doing. We're so cautious right now. At least I'm speaking for myself. Uh, the Operation Gridlock protesters in Michigan are not so cautious. But uh, you're right. It's going to take a while for me just to uh, get back into the swing of things. But one of the one of the businesses they're opening up in uh, Georgia uh, was bowling alley. It's on the list of uh, Brian Kemp's uh, to do list uh, for Georgia. So it's like we live in uh, different universes. So that's for certain Trump universe and the rest of us. All right. Something else you told me that you were doing these days. You were watching uh, a bond court on YouTube. Talk about that. Yeah, so the, the Cook County courts have have uh, rolled out this live streaming of, of court calls um, because, you know, court court is supposed to be open to the public and accessible. And obviously, with that not being possible right now with the lockdown, um, they've made uh, it it's on Cook County courts. Uh, let me just say the website address um, correctly. Cook County Court. Uh, it's cookcountycourt.org. Uh, if you go on the front page, like in the middle of the page, you'll see there's like a little tab that says live stream. And there is a list of courtrooms that you can tune into um, at various points during the day, during weekdays, obviously, and some of them on weekends as well. Um, and you can watch the proceedings. So I tuned into Bond Court yesterday, which is where people go after being arrested um, and they're they're bail conditions are set so either they're sent to the jail or they're being let out and frankly this was I mean it's strange because it's all happening over zoom and it's being live streamed on YouTube and there's lots of disclaimers saying that like it is like totally prohibited to be taking screenshots to be recording any of this to be taking photographs of the screen while you're watching so you're not supposed to create any kind of record of this yourself um, but what you're seeing is basically uh, a Zoom call, like the state attorney, the the which the, the prosecutors, the public defenders, uh, the judge, various other like the court, uh, the court reporter that is making the transcript. All of them are in their own separate room somewhere, and they're communicating over Zoom. 
And it's strange because, uh, frankly, I have never been able to understand more of what was being said in bond court. Like, I've been going to bond court for years observing these proceedings, and it's always so hard to understand what's happening because it happens so fast. I mean, a lot of bond hearings are, like, less than a minute. And people, all of the, the, the lawyers and the judge, they're talking to each other in, like, legalese and very fast, and some people aren't talking very loudly, and it's very hard to understand what's happening. And this, ironically, has, like, made it, like, now you can have it all in your headphones and people are talking one at a time. And you just get, like, a better sense of the decisions that are being made right in front of your eyes. So that was kind of interesting. Um, the All of the drug possession like basic basic drug possession cases, they were just getting thrown out right then and there, and people were being told to go home. Um, the people who were getting sent to jail and getting like high uh, money bonds were mostly people who were charged with um, gun crimes for for shootings and stuff. But in all, yesterday there were only like twenty people. Um, in on the bond court call, which I have never seen so few people in bond court before. Um, for comparison's sake, like last year on the third Monday of April, there were like 44 people. So we're seeing half as many people um, going through there. And, um, you know, my assumption is that there's just less, there are fewer people out there. There's less criminal activity because there's less of any kind of activity. And there's probably less aggressive policing than usual as well. So all of that um, creates the situation in which there's fewer people going to bond court. You know, I, I'm trying to think of anything positive to say about the pandemic. It's really difficult, but I would say at the, near the top of the list would be the the notion that they're throwing out uh, drug possession cases, which most of the yeah. I well, you know me on this subject, my don't get me started on the war on drugs, but uh, I wish I wish they had been doing this from the '90s on. Uh, the, the notion of locking people up for possessing possessing drugs it, it, for a user it just I never understood it uh, it was it was for, for obvious reasons um, very racist and hit hardest at some some communities I don't know if you saw this story in the paper this falls under the category of duh but it's important that this uh, story came out today sometimes before pot was legalized blacks seven times more likely to face weed arrests than whites in Illinois, uh, according to a report, the uh, report from the uh, ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, uh, which uh, examined nationwide cannabis arrests between 2010 and 2018, found that Illinois had the third mm -hmm. largest racial disparities in possession arrests in 2018, uh, trailing only Montana and Kentucky. Good God, Montana. Wow. I know. What a thought. Um, and uh, black people. All five people that live in Montana. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> right, Montana. Um, so uh, uh, legalized marijuana couldn't come uh, soon enough for all these disparities. And that's what's going on in bond court as well. Uh, Mai, before I let you go and do your business, I know you have a phone call you have to take or make uh, for a story. Uh, just let people know a little bit about the, the reader, our, our beloved reader. Uh, we sold out of the comic books. I've been promoting those comic books like crazy. Coloring books, Coloring books my bad. And uh, so what else yeah, we got going? Yeah, have been buy They've been selling like hotcakes. I know. They're sold out. The they, first they, batch the is sold out. The comic books are selling out hotcakes. They've got... Yeah, but there's going to be more. We also have a 
puzzle that we're selling now, the limited edition puzzle um, uh, with our cover that has the bean on it and it said do not touch. We're taking donations uh, like we have been. You can become a member. You can subscribe to Home Delivery of the Reader for 12 weeks. And uh, now the latest thing is we have a 420 uh, activity and coloring book that was released yesterday, you know, for the weed holiday. <laughs> for yeah. those who don't know what 420 is, there's recipe in there, recipes in there for like weed infused food that you can make. There's stuff to color and other activities. So um, more stuff to do while you're stuck at home. Yeah, and I appreciate everybody who's made contributions to the reader, helping us out a little bit. We've been hit really hard uh, by the by the quarantine. Uh, many of the businesses that we rely on for uh, uh, ad revenue are, are closed. They have no money. Uh, so it's been a struggle for us as well, but we're persevering. And I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the support we're getting uh, from our readers and our listeners. So um, let's carry on. Do you got your greatest hits finished yet maya your greatest hits homework greatest hits yeah uh oh she oh no i don't yeah not yet get to work uh lior galil is the first stop uh from yeah. reader and we're gonna have him on the show to talk about his greatest hits uh music writer lior galil all right maya and hey maya real quick i don't know if you can hear this but this is for you how did you go from sharing stories yeah. over the years to deciding to write a book good question mayor good question we miss you <laughs> It was the good old days. Maya would come into the <laughs> Maya would come into the studio, and Dennis and I would be riffing on the news of the day, whatever it is. And <laughs> that's that's Lori Lightfoot asking a really tough question of uh, <laughs> uh, Hillary a really Clinton. Tough question. Yeah, right. A tough question. Maya for our teachers. Oh, Maya for our teachers. <laughs> Maya would go on a riff. <laughs> that's correct. That, that's great. Come on. She needs that's correct. That's correct. All right. There we go. Okay, Maya, stay, uh, stay <laughs> safe and sound. Get down to business, all right? All right. Thank that, you, guys. Have a, take it easy. Uh, very good. 